Appendix A by a Mac. Anyone who knows me personally knows I am passionate about Apple computers. What you might not know is that I am a fairly recent convert. Before we got our first iMac in 2007, I had no idea there were any viable alternatives to a PC running some version of Windows. I knew that Apple was out there somewhere, but never really gave it a second thought. I thought the people who owned Macs were only graphic artists and designers who had more money than sense. Boy, did I get a wake-up call. I have since purchased a second iMac, a MacBook, a MacBook Pro, a MacBook Air, two iPads, two iPods, and I have recommended Apple products to dozens of other people. Not only is Apple a viable alternative to the PC, its hardware and software are clearly superior in every way. Quality and innovation is their recipe. The biggest objection I hear from others about Apple is that they are more expensive. Well, that part is true, but the difference in price is more than worth the money. It is a good value for what you get. Coming from a guy who is as thrifty as I am, that is a terrific endorsement. I will not give you all the specifics here about why you should buy a Mac. I will only tell you that you should consider it seriously before you buy your next computer. Go to an Apple store where you can get hands-on exposure to all their products and friendly Mac geniuses to answer all your questions. You should also plan to spend some time at Apple's website where you can get a very professional, up-to-date look at their current product line and pricing. You might be surprised to find out how reasonably priced they are. Watch the TV ads start to finish. They are hilarious and love to poke fun at PCs. Watch a few links on product development and construction and you will be ready to get your own. There is a Mac in your future, so any money spent now on a PC is money you wasted. You will end up junking the PC eventually and buying a Mac anyway, so you will actually save money by buying a Mac for the first time around. Do not buy it if you cannot afford to pay cash, but if you have been selling lemonade, that should not be a problem. I get no commission for endorsing Apple products, nor do I have stock in their company. I probably should. Comments and suggestions welcomed. I would be happy to field questions and will appreciate your comments about the pizza principle or any of the concepts presented. Please email me at pabloppe at gmail.com. P-A-B-L-O-P-P-E at gmail.com. Appendix B, the last word. July 4th, 2010. Today is Independence Day in the United States. Since the pizza principle is about financial independence, I thought it fitting that I should finish the book today. Coincidentally, I read section 115 of the Doctrine and Covenants this morning, which also celebrates July 4th as the day the Lord instructed the church to begin the construction of the temple in Far West. And let the beginning be made on the fourth day of July next, and from that time forth let my people labor diligently to build a house unto my name. Doctrine and Covenants section 115 verse 10. The Pioneer Church had to learn the same lessons about debt that we as individuals must learn. The Lord instructed the prophet Joseph Smith thus, Verily I say unto you, Let not my servant Joseph, neither my servant Sidney, neither my servant Hiram, get in debt any more for the building of a house unto my name. But let a house be built unto my name according to the pattern which I will show unto them. Doctrine and Covenants, section 115, verses 13 and 14. The pattern which the Lord showed to Joseph Smith is the same that the church follows today. The kingdom of God will roll forth only as fast as time and available funds will allow. The modern church does not and will not go into debt to finance any operational programs or building projects, including chapels and temples. The church follows the same pattern that we should each follow. They evaluate their available resources, crust, then they establish and follow budgets for capital and expenses, sauce, that fit within their means, and they save part of their surplus for a rainy day. Hear what Gordon B. Hinckley has to say about fiscal restraint. 
In the financial operations of the church, we have observed two basic and fixed principles. One, the church will live within its means. It will not spend more than it receives. Two, a fixed percentage of the income will be set aside to build reserves against what might be called a possible rainy day. For years, the church has taught its membership the principle of setting aside a reserve of food as well as money to take care of emergency needs that might arise. We are only trying to follow the same principle for the church as a whole. How grateful I am to be able to say to the priesthood of this church that the church in its ecclesiastical operations has no debt, no temple, no meeting house, no seminary or institute facility, no welfare facility, no building or property used in the ecclesiastical operations is under mortgage. You are ultimately responsible to establish your own guidelines for managing the wealth you will acquire through your industry. I have attempted to share with you a pattern for success that has worked well for me. I promise you that if followed, the plan for financial and fiscal responsibility as outlined in these chapters will work for you too. Let me close with my testimony of the truthfulness of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. I can witness to you that the Lord speaks to us through prophets on earth today. The heavens are open and we are fortunate to have scriptures, both old and new, which testify of the Lord's love for each of his children. The Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. It was translated through the gift and power of God by his prophet Joseph Smith over 170 years ago. It has since been published in 83 languages and selections from the Book of Mormon have been published in 25 more. It is rolling forth to God's children in all nations as prophesied. This book of scripture promises those with real intent a witness through the Holy Ghost of its divine origins and veracity. To Moroni's witness, I add my own. The Book of Mormon is true. The priesthood has been restored in modern times through the angelic ministrations of John the Baptist, then Peter, James, and John, who, in 1829, conferred their authority upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Priesthood bearers administer the affairs of God's kingdom on earth today in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as it was anciently. Jesus Christ, our elder brother, is a resurrected being who lives and loves us. He atoned for our sins. Our faith in his atonement, coupled with sincere repentance and his divine forgiveness of our sins, is what allows us hope in the promise of our returning to our Heavenly Father at the conclusion of our mortal experience. Your mission to share the message of the restored gospel continues. It is what will bring happiness, peace and joy to you, your family, and all who seek righteousness. Appendix C. 10 Things On several occasions, people have commented on how well our children have turned out as adults. I generally tell them it is because they have the world's greatest mother. While that is true, there are certain core foundational principles as taught by modern day prophets that when adhered to religiously will help keep a family on course. Whenever our family began drifting in the wrong direction, we recommitted ourselves to the regular observance of these practices and righted the ship. It takes a great deal of organization to be sure, but the results are worth the effort. I call these 10 things to never forget. Number one, daily personal prayer. Number two, daily scripture study. Having a daily personal devotional is the best way I know to always remember him. Taking the sacrament every week is our opportunity to acknowledge our covenants, but always is hard to do once a week. As one becomes devoted to daily study of the Holy Scriptures and personal prayer, the Scriptures will come alive and the Holy Ghost will tell you all things what you should do. 2 Nephi chapter 32, verse 3. Number 3. Daily Family Prayer Number four, daily family scripture study. We found the most successful time for family scripture study and family prayer was in the morning before breakfast. Even if each person read only a verse or two, gathering the family together every morning for a brief reading from the Book of Mormon or other scripture, followed by a kneeling prayer proved to be a great way to start the day. 
We typically kept this schedule Monday through Friday. Weekends had less structure. Even younger children who do not read can repeat a phrase or two and feel included. Most of our children were able to read before they started school by following along verse by verse as we studied the Book of Mormon as a family. Number five, weekly church attendance. If your family always attends church together every Sunday, even on vacations, children will recognize that this is an important form of worship and will not question or plan alternate activities that conflict with Sunday meetings. Regular attendance also contributes to one's ability to faithfully fulfill callings and assignments. If it is a priority for you, it will become a priority for your children. Number six, weekly family home evening and family activity night. We went the extra mile on this one. In an effort to add structure to family time on the Sabbath, we scheduled each week a traditional family home evening with assignments for all family members. We usually held these on Sunday in the late afternoon or early evening. This gave the children something Sabbath appropriate to do while preparing for their FHE assignments. It also left Monday evening free for family activity night every week instead of having activities and lessons on alternating weeks. Each family member in turn had the opportunity to choose the Monday night activity and plan refreshments. When children grow up with regular FHE, FHE, it becomes less of a struggle when teenage distractions and friends attempt to pull them away. Number seven, weekly family council. We typically held this meeting on Sunday right after lunch unless we had an afternoon church schedule which moved it to Sunday morning. This gathering affords families the opportunity to coordinate and calendar individual weekday activities, transportation, finances, and provides a recognized forum to review family business and policies as well as plan vacations and other outings. FHE and family activity tonight assignments were issued at family council so each member would have sufficient time to prepare. This was not typically a forum to air individual issues that did not affect the family as a whole. Number eight, weekly date night. One weekend night each week was designated as date night for dad and mom. Sometimes date night turned into a movie night with the family, but it works best as alone time away from the children. Both parents need a break every week, even if that requires getting a babysitter while you go out for a burger. The bond that parents share must be nurtured regularly to be preserved. Recognize that when your children grow up, it's just the two of you. When your spouse is your best friend, you will savor time alone together at every stage of life. Enjoy the moment. Number nine, monthly steering sessions. What is a steering session? It is simply private alone time with mom and dad every month with each child. This works best as an informal, private discussion focused on the strengths and successes of the child's previous month. It is a time for the child to feel special and uniquely loved, not an opportunity for discipline. Although given an appropriate foundation of love and support, a child will more likely accept parental suggestions and counsel in this friendly environment. Goals can be set and progress monitored month by month. This empowers children to feel direct input into their future plans and dreams. It is critical that this process be started when children are very young. Older children who have not been part of meaningful positive experiences with their parents will likely resist participating in regular alone time with them. For us, Sunday evenings were best for these sessions. We tried to spread them out by scheduling no more than one or two children each Sunday. Of all the structure we tried to incorporate into our family, steering sessions were key. Number 10, monthly temple worship. We have lived as far as eight hours away from the nearest temple, so we sometimes had to visit every other month. Endowed individuals understand the need to attend the temple regularly to be reminded of the sacred covenants they have made. But equally important, children need to see their parents faithfully observe this practice. Children will develop a respect and reverence for the temple more by observance than they will by FHE lessons. 
would that every home also have a picture of the temple displayed prominently as a constant reminder to parents and children that the house of the Lord is holy unto the Lord. Truly in the last days, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Certainly other traditions emerged over time that contributed to our family solidarity, but this core of 10 things that we practice regularly were invaluable in building faith and testimony in our children and their parents. What do I tell people who ask how our children were able to all remain faithful? There are no secrets. Follow the prophet and use some or all of these inspired practices that have proven to strengthen families now as well as fortify and bless the lives of future generations.